at the book of Nehemiah, and last week we were in chapter 9, now we're in chapter, chapter 10 through 12, so it's a pretty, pretty big swath of scripture, and when we do things like historical narrative like this, usually you end up with larger portions, and this time we're really taking a, a big bite out, so we'll be kind of an overview of what's happening in all of this as well. So am I doing something here, Alex, I need to do different? My demonstrative <laughs> things. This is why we did this so I could have a little bit more of this going on. And I'll just, uh, just keep, keep at it. And uh, so Nehemiah chapter 10 through 12, I invite you to certainly turn there if you'd like to follow uh, along. I'll have, of course, some PowerPoint. We're not going to read the entirety of the passage, and I'll just be lifting some things from it. Uh, so last week, some of you were able, after church, to join us for a graduation party at the Redeemer House. Uh, our daughter, Sophia, who we prayed for, is uh, launching out into the next phase of life, finished her high school graduation. So thanks for those of you who were able to, to attend and to celebrate along with us. You know, we were there for a few hours, and the last group of people who came through are some friends of ours, uh, Carmen and, and Jody Scalfaro. Some of you may, may know them. She was a, an elementary school teacher, and she actually had a couple of our children, uh, and also... Um, her husband teaches at Mason High School, and he had some of our kids as well uh, over the course of their, their educational career. They also happened to be in our small group at our mother church years and years ago. Carmen was, he was one of my interns. We used to have some summer interns, and uh, so we got to know each other pretty well. So when they, they swung by to celebrate with us, it was great to get caught up. We don't see them very often. That was, it was Sunday, last Sunday. Uh, they were the last people gone, spent a good hour and a half catching up, just great friends. And then on Tuesday, we saw a post, a GoFundMe post, supporting the Scalfaro family. And I was thinking, what in the world? They didn't say anything about what was going on Sunday. Well, some of you might recall on Monday, there was a significant storm that blew through. And, you know, there's always those warnings about warning, warning, and we stop paying attention to that stuff after a while because nothing seems to happen. Um, Apparently, they on Monday were downtown celebrating uh, Bella. They have a 17-year-old, her birthday. They have a second child named Blaze. He happened to be uh, at, at a friend's house, and they started getting text messages. Hey, something's going on with your house. So they rushed home. Uh, lightning had struck their home, and it went up in flames. It took four hours for the firemen to put out the fire. And, you know, that one of the things about coming over and seeing Sophia's, all, all of her things, with the, the artwork over the years, and the poems, you know, where I come from, and all that stuff as well, all gone. Actually started, uh, ironically, in Blaze's room, was the first place that the fire had hit, and, and uh, all the kids' stuff is gone. All their memories are, are literally up, up in flames. So Tuesday, there was a GoFundMe, and we, you know, Jill called uh, Carmen and has touched base with her several, several times. And man, isn't it amazing how quickly things can change? And put into context what really matters the most. What is it that matters the most? So on the back end of that, of course, uh, Jody's had some time to process the significant loss. And as you might, might suspect, that's what they 
are missing the most. I mean, all this other stuff is irreplaceable, but not those things as well. And so they're really, of course, grieving and their sadness uh, as well. But her Facebook post says this was a tragic event and fire is so destructive and ugly, but there is such a greater story here. God is good and he provides in such enormous ways that we cannot even comprehend. Every blanket, because all they had was what they were wearing at the end of this. Pair of socks, text, phone call, hug, can of Coke, donations, offers to help, and most importantly, prayer is evidence of his goodness. Thank you for loving us so much. We cannot thank you enough. Our hearts are raw with gratefulness. Of course, she posted that at the end of the week. And when you, when you have experiences like that, it does show you what matters the most. And when I was thinking about the book of Nehemiah, and especially Eric's message last week, which if you weren't here, I commend it to you to go back and listen to it. Um, he had, you know, three points he was covering. The brokenness that we all have, and right next to it, God's abundant mercy weaved in together with it. He did a great job of lifting from chapter 9 those two those two realities stuck together. And how that leads ultimately to a renewed obedience that God is calling his people to. When I was thinking about the Scalferos, those people, when Eric concluded saying they made God a priority, when stuff like this gets taken away, it really tends to elevate your sense of what matters most to you. It's not to minimize the sadness and loss, but to see in Jody and Carmen an example of what it means, really, that what matters most to them is God's people and God's word and his faithfulness to them despite all that's been lost. And they're just a small picture of loss all around the world. When you think about Ukraine and other nations and people fleeing and no chance of returning. But people of faith have something firmer and more solid as a foundation than any house they could ever build. And the house of God had come to ruins. And in Nehemiah's day, he said, we want to rebuild those foundations. That's what we've been talking about, rebuilding the foundations. And what we see in chapters 10 through 12 then is that those foundations... The picture of the holy city, Jerusalem, as an image of who God is and what he is building, a, a foundation that will go on forever. It's a visual picture of it. These are the foundations that must matter most to us because there's no guarantee that all this stuff might be taken away. And so for these people, they said, we will make God a priority. And that's what mattered most to them. And so I want to talk about making God a priority from Nehemiah 10 through 12. And really, there were two ways, that this, two ways that this came out for them as they're renewing their vows and their covenant commitments and reading God's word. There's two things that happen. The first is their foundational commitments are renewed. When I say foundational commitments, I have in mind a foundation. What is your life built on? You know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. Is it really? And when, when things and tragedies arise, we're tested in that and we grow in it. And sometimes we wax and we wane. But here, 
they're recognizing they have to build their lives on a foundation beyond themselves. That's, that's what Jerusalem is, a picture of a foundation stronger and more enduring than anything they could possibly do of their own accord. Sturdy and ancient. It's not like they're throwing out the past and starting something completely new of their own doing. They're building on what God has already revealed to them. And that foundation had eroded. In fact, it eroded so much that they went into exile. And so when Nehemiah mourns, he says, let's rebuild those foundations because that's what God has told us to do. That's a picture of resting and relying on him alone. And that picture had been destroyed. And really, it's not the foundation that had eroded. Those promises of God are enduring, but their commitment to it had. That's what it had eroded. They're not prioritizing God as they ought to have. His people as a whole went into exile, but Nehemiah is saying, let's make God a priority again and rebuild those foundations. So they're doing that by renewing their commitments. Back in chapter 9, verse 48, in view of all of this, verse 58, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So they look at everything they've done. They said, let's seal this now. Let's make this firm. Let's put our names to it and say, we are committing to this. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1 starts by saying they sealed it. They put their names to it. They're fully on board. And Nehemiah's name is first. He's taking the lead in this. And then a host of others, if you look at chapter 10, there's a lot of names there. There's real people making real commitments to rebuilding these foundations. And this is the kind of things that they say. In verse 30, they say, we promise. In verse 32, we assume responsibility for what happens next. And we also assume responsibility for, in verse 35, is this the language you hear from leaders generally speaking today? We, not just we promise to do it, but we assume responsibility for making sure it happens, meaning if it doesn't, that's on us. And we will be held accountable for it. As it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle to the house of God. Moreover, we will bring, and they list all these things they'll bring, ending with offerings and a tithe. And then in verse 39, such a great statement, they say, we will not neglect the house of God. We're going to make God a priority again. And that priority isn't just external. It's driving down deep to my own commitment such that if I don't follow through, I will be held accountable for it. One of the things I, I hope as a father that I communicate to my sons all the time is part of what it means I believe to be a, a man, a man of God, is to accept responsibility for your actions. You do something wrong, you admit it. And you're willing to accept the consequences. I, I think that's a part of biblical manhood. And these leaders here are demonstrating that. We're putting our names on this. We will be held accountable to it. And some of those renewed commitments they're talking about, for example, in verse 30, they say, we will be committed to, in, in, in marriage, to marrying only those who are believers. If you want to drill it down, it's... There are lots of different nations 
And probably some of them had some very attractive women who were, who were there too as well. And the, the sons who are again making these commitments and the, and the fathers are saying, look, marry only those from within the family of faith. That's ultimately what they're getting at. Because once you begin mixing these beliefs, it's called syncretism, you smash these things together, it mixes things up, and what matters most for them is not what matters most for you. You'd no longer be making God a priority. That's hard. Especially if somebody is extremely attractive. And there's lots of reasons to suggest and justify. And, but... They're, say, they're saying, no, we're going to be committed to this idea, this sanctity of not just the marriage in general as a concept, but to marriage within the bounds of what God has revealed it to be. And this is reinforced uh, a little bit later in, in the scriptures as well. It's the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. You, know, you, you, you have different ultimate goals in mind. And, and this isn't just an ethnic statement because if you remember Ruth who was not an Israelite married Boaz who was. And Jesus came from her line. But she did become a believer. She said your God will be my God. Your, my people, your people, the same. And these people are gathered together saying we want to set that apart once again. The other thing they set apart, another sanctifying thing they're committed to, is honoring the Sabbath. In verse 31, they say, we are going to make the Sabbath day a distinctive day. A day that's different. That's the pattern in Scripture. One day in seven is just, it's different. Your rhythms are different. You're honoring the Sabbath by gathering with God's people. So you're off to a great start doing this. And if you look at all the principles of the Sabbath, you see that it's a day set aside for worship, this corporate worship, but also private worship. It's a day set aside for rest. Do something restful. Rejuvenate. You were designed by God in the pattern of creation to have a day set aside where you rest. My, my sister works at Nike out in Beaverton on the main campus. And Apparently, they have an hour set aside a day where they're supposed to go exercise. I mean, this is, this is awesome. At least for me, if you enjoy exercising. Part of your work that you get paid for is to go outside and kick a soccer ball into a net for an hour. Yeah. What if the God of creation said, take a whole day and rest? You know what? Just take a break. Look, I know you got kids. They don't get it. What happened to the rest? What happened to the... It's challenging. I understand. There's some tag teaming maybe that needs to go on. And we've all been through that if we've had kids. But this is a day that your creator said set aside and rest. And also, I would say celebrate. The picture of the Sabbath is a day of celebration, a foretaste of what is to come. So make it awesome. One of the things that I loved looking at Sophia's old papers was how she loved Sundays. Because on Sundays, we get Sundays. We used to think, what do our kids like? Gorging on, you know, ice cream and M&Ms. And so we said, we're going to have Sundays on Sundays. So that Sundays got something to look forward to, even if it means back in the day with our four kids, 
ages 6, 4, 2, and newborn. We were in the church for two services from 7.15 in the morning until about 1 p.m. All that time. Right there. And we were both fully engaged in the service. Sunday wasn't always a day of rest. Certainly not during that time. We said, what can we do to celebrate? Let's have some Sundays. And God is saying, that is part of your commitment. I mean, God's commitments here, they're not bad. They, they're not burdensome. Have, committing to the intimate relationships that are honoring God and to a day set aside when you get to worship and rest and celebrate? But they'd forgotten that. Because when other people and ideas come in, they start wondering if that's really such a good thing. They are. And the last thing they commit to is leveraging their resources for God's kingdom. In verses 35 through 39, if you look at that text, you see they start saying, we're going to bring all these uh, offerings and bring our tithes and our, our children and everything. We're going to offer that, that to you. All the stuff that they have is being given to God, and he can do what he wants to with it. And they're overflowing with generosity and with the sense of not holding tightly to things as if they belong to themselves. When you make God a priority, you see everything you have belongs to him. And there's no longer, you're not being driven by fear of what could happen if I give these things, but joy and expectation of what God's going to do when you give them willingly. That's just how God's kingdom works. And we start holding tightly to these things and we can't see it. But these people, they're making God a priority. These foundational commitments are being renewed. And I love the word renewal. That sense that ongoing reality of over and over again. When I do a wedding service, I encourage people who are married to think about renewing their own vows. You know, it gets kind of you start adding up the years, you need renewal. A constant sense of, of new things happening. And the same is the case with the Sabbath or a day set aside. What is God doing? How is he at work in our midst? He's given us that. And it happens as well when we give generously. There's a renewal process. It's more blessed to give than to receive. God knows our hearts grow when we're giving in generosity the things he's entrusted to us. And that's what they're committing to. And every time there's this renewal of foundational commitments, you will have the opportunities to see new starts. And that's what they say, or we see happens next. New starts are celebrated. In chapter 11, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And the remainder of this chapter lists all these new residents. There were people, you know, Jerusalem had been rebuilt, but apparently who wants to live in the midst of ruins? I mean, the temple was rebuilt, but the walls weren't, and there wasn't a lot of commerce and activity going on here. And now that they've done this project, people have to move in and live there. And apparently there wasn't a whole bunch of people excited about necessarily doing it because they had their homes out in the burbs. They had established their boundaries. They had their crops. They had their neighbors. And now they're saying this is all done. Now who's going to populate the place? And so some people, leaders, actually 
sacrifice. They say, we'll go in and start doing it. But then there were others who they needed to uh, kind of compel to go by virtue of saying, hey, who's going to volunteer? Some crickets. So what they do is they cast lots. And they cast lots. So it'd be a little bit like throwing your name inside a, a basket and like, Van Zandt, pack your bags, you're moving to the city. You know, Giulianto. Ah, and you guys are going to be neighbors. And, you, and, and so it's a relocation project. Property, neighbors, friends, to something completely new. And whenever there's new starts, there's always a sense of sacrifice, isn't there? You get comfortable with how things are. But when you are committing to God and renewing that, he says, I am pushing you always to something new. There's always, there's always new starts. And it can be a, a little intimidating, but that seems to be where God starts working. And we see him at work a little bit more. And the leaders recognize this reality. And others are relocated. It reminds me of Acts 17. God's in charge of relocation Maybe not casting lots, but you're here in Cincinnati. Some of you can't wait to leave. Some of you are grateful to be here. I don't know. You're all over the map. But God has you here now, and it's no mistake. You are here for a reason. God determines the exact place and the exact time. For those of you who wish you lived 100 years ago, you can do that for a moment. God has you living now. You close your eyes. You want to wake up 20 years from now. I get it. He has you living now. He has determined the exact place, the exact time for you to live, the exact circumstances, so you'll reach out and find God. But guess what? He's not far away from each one of you. And these people had to remember that reality too. I mean, that's Paul many years later, but we see that here. Finally, after these foundational commitments are renewed, the people are being relocated, and there's a huge party. I mean, when you have new starts... Or when you're acknowledging things that have been finished, you party. You, you have a reason for celebration. You bring out the, the cake and, and start blowing trumpets or whatever partying looks like for you. Line dancing, I don't know. But they, they're going to do it. We know what it looks like for them. In chapter 12, verses 27 to 31, and 31, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, and I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. There's all kinds of music. The leaders are up on top, and there's, there's choirs singing and celebrating that God is doing something new in our midst. And they celebrate it. New opportunities, new places to live, new relationships being formed, and new leaders being put in place to celebrate what God has done and to remind them these structures are built in that those foundational commitments need to constantly be renewed. In Nehemiah 10 through 12, we see this kind of culmination of all that's happened, but it's really just reminding them to go back to the same things again and again. And there's not a dreariness in that. There's a joy. Because as you push forward, God is doing something new. And there are times and seasons when we celebrate that perhaps even more profoundly. It's the celebration of a new era. At verse 44, we see this new era has new leadership. Men of 
appointed to manage the resources that are coming in. Men who, according to verse 45, performed the service of their God. It's thrilling that this happens to be a picture of what God is doing here in our local congregation as he's raising up new leaders. Last week, you elected Tony White as an elder of Redeemer Church. This week, we get to ordain and install him. And isn't it a wonder, wondrous, smooth transition to go from the, new celebra the celebration of a new start back here in Nehemiah 12 for us to do the same here this morning? Technically, this is what we say is a called session meeting. So the leaders of the church have been gathered together as we enter into a time of ordaining and installing Tony. It's an opportunity for you to celebrate. You acknowledged by nomination that he was a capable candidate. He went through all the training. And then he was tested and tried. And he has emerged then on the back end. No, no, uh, no surprise to me whatsoever as a capable candidate. And then unanimously elected last week. So you're here to witness and to celebrate. Perhaps you should be the choir. Maybe I should have a couple of choirs. You guys here, you guys there, let's do a round of something. I don't know. But this is a, this is a moment to celebrate for sure. And it's going to get a little, bit, a little bit technical here because we do have a, a book of church order that, that guides and directs us in this. So I'm going to move a little bit more.